Well, it's great to be together this morning. I'm a Uber. I always think when it comes to the beginning of a new year, um, just how faithful God is. And, you know, 2015 has been a, a good year for some. It's been a challenging year for others. It's been a difficult year. It's been a year of loss for some, a year of struggling with health, all those things. And, um, you know, we have to come and uh, frame our lives in the greatness of God. We have to come and remember that God is good and that his love endures forever. And uh, we have to come and uh, just this morning, as we look forward and as we start to think about a new year and all the challenges that brings and opportunities that brings, that we, we just hide ourselves in who Jesus is afresh and uh, what he has for us. And so I want to talk this morning really um, about a little verse there in Acts chapter um, 10, verse 38. Uh, I think it'll come on the screen. It says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. What a great little verse. Acts 10 verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. I want to talk to you today really about your mission for God, and our mission for God. I want to talk about trying to frame your life around the purposes of God for you. Um, you know, that God is calling on our lives. God has a, uh, a purpose for us. And we need to frame our lives around the, the abundance of that, around the purpose of that, that God actually has a calling for us. And, and we've got to change our mentality towards that. We've got to get rid of the, we have to do this, to we get to do, to do this. We don't have to worship, we get to worship. It's, it's a privilege for us. We don't have to pray, we get to pray. We don't have to serve, we get to serve. And uh, this, is, this is what Jesus shows us. This is the example that he gives us. Uh, that This verse that describes him, he was anointed with power and the Holy Spirit, and then he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the evil one. What, a, what an opportunity for us. You see, God has a purpose for our life. And you know, we've defined our mission really as transforming the atmosphere of our city with the love of God. It's, it's this thing that we've been talking about for a few years, that actually God hasn't called us here just to have our own little lives with him and then go to heaven. See, some of us would like to live like that. But actually, God, that's not God's calling upon our lives. God's calling for us is to change our world. How many of you know the church isn't called just to be a fringe minority group? It's called to be a force to change the world. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He, Jesus had a big vision for his people. He had a sense of uh, calling for them. He, he saw that they could impact the world and transform it. He saw lives being changed and people being turned around and people being snatched from the fire of hell. He, snore, he saw families being put back together again. He saw communities being transformed and changed because of the gospel that came through the church. Hello? And when we, when we lose sight of that, we let go of God's purpose for our lives. I need to say that again. When we lose sight of that, we let go of God's purpose for our lives. We reduce our lives to just us and God. When God wanted to enlarge our lives to be him in us in the world. And so I want you to enlarge your vision this morning. I want you to think about how God can use you this year. I want you to enlarge your vision from just seeking what 
you think God wants to give you in his hand. You know, from, from just saying to God, well, I need this and I need this. And God, I'd like you to take care of me this way. And I'd like you to do this. Because so much of our consumer mentality is focused on ourselves. And it's in the church. Hello. <laughs> You're not convinced yet, are you? It's in our lives. We become focused. And so much of our prayers can be focused on ourselves. When Jesus taught us to pray about the kingdom. And about his kingdom coming. And he did say, give us today our daily bread. But he also focused us first on the kingdom. Upon the purpose of of his coming to the world. See, Jesus, as he walked around Galilee, as he visited the towns and villages, as he met the people, he changed the atmosphere of the community that he was in. And and God is calling us to be people who, who hold that in our hearts. How can we change what he went. That's what the church is called to do. Ephesians 3, 10 and 12 says this, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Hey, that's changing the atmosphere, folks. It's making known to the principalities and powers over the earth that actually the church is here and things will change because that's God's desire for the church. And so we need to own that. We need to say, hey, you know, part of my life's calling here is not just to get the best job I can, but part of my life's calling is to be someone who transforms the community where I work. Hello? Part of our calling is to say, you know what, God? I get to be the person who is able to bring the power and the kingdom of God into the life that I lead. I get to be that person. Lord, I'm looking for that. See, we've got to widen and enlarge our horizons. The Bible often says in the Psalms, lift up your heads and see the king. Lift up your heads and see him. You know, so often our our vision is just focused down on ourselves. You know, it's like when you, you know, when you do something wrong, you instantly look at your feet, don't you? Or is it just me? I have to say to my boys, stop looking at your shoes. Look up. Do you know what I mean? You've got to look up. See, see, when we know we're not, we kind of look down. We've got to look up sometimes and get a different perspective. We've got to see that God is calling us to change the world around us. And that seems so big. It seems so undefinable. The world is such a big thing. And so we have to pull it down into our lives. We change the world around us by changing us and changing the people around us. By, by seeking to live differently, by impacting who they are and what they were called to be. Peter says this to the, to the disciples. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And glorify God on the day he visits us. They say to him, listen, even though they accuse you, even though they criticize you, even though they uh, moan about the Christians, let them see such good deeds that they glorify God the day he comes. See, that's the calling of the church. The calling of the church isn't to be the best worship team in the world. The calling of the church isn't to be the trendiest looking bunch of Christians. Thank the Lord, eh? We'd be in trouble. The calling of the church isn't, isn't to be kind of like, you know, super spiritual and telling everybody where they're going wrong. No, friends, it's to live such good lives among the pagans that they, when they see us, they glorify God. Because they say, hey, something's changed those people. We've got to enlarge our horizons so that we live for the purpose of God, so that we transform the atmosphere of our city. And that's a challenge of living with a personal sense of mission to proclaim and demonstrate the goodness of God, the message of the cross, the hope of God.
And people get into all kinds of things about it, you know, oh, well, you know, don't lose the power of the gospel, don't do this. Friends, you know what? I think we make our lives so complicated. Let's just do good and set people free from the devil. Do you know what I mean? It's like, forget it. Stop worrying about your gospel presentation. Actually smile at someone, it might help. Talk to your next door neighbor, it might help. Be someone who's bringing joy and life, you know, rather than just someone who is, I've met, I've met some Christians who are so rigid, they're the most miserable people on earth. Come on, you've met them too. Some of you used to be those people. Some of you still are. No, I'm joking now. We've all known that, haven't we? It's like we get so uptight. You know, Jesus said to the religious people, you strain at gnats and swallow camels. You know, churches have done that for years. They've strained over gnats. They get divided about the most stupid things. And yet they let other things just go. Because it's all about our little world that we're looking at. Me in my small corner and you in yours. And all the, all the time, the world is waiting for a church who will say, hey, there's transformation in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. And friends, we've got to wake up and recognize that it's not the calling of an institution to bring hope to a community. It's my calling. It's your calling. It's not the calling of the church of God to bring the gospel. It's your calling. It's David Ayling. It's Rob Greenbank. It's Sabrina Malik. It's everybody else. It's our calling. We share it. It's ours. And sometimes I think, friends, if I'm honest, I think sometimes we live our Christian lives focused so much on ourselves, we've forgotten the calling of God. Anybody going to be honest enough today? And so we've got to try and work out in our lives and in our situations how we bring the gospel to our world, how we transform the very atmosphere of our city, how we transform the communities around us. And friends, we do it through deciding that we're engaged. See, the kingdom of God advances one life at a time. There was a time when you weren't in church, when you were far away from God, when you laughed at the people who were in church and thought they were all loonies. Maybe some of you are still in that place this morning. You weren't far wrong, really. I read a great book called Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. We're all a bit strange, aren't we? But it's, it's the calling of God. We've got to own that for ourselves. And it's difficult. It's hard. It's challenging because life is full of so much stuff that's to do with us. We can make us very absorbed with us. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is set up around us. When you get up in the morning and you turn the television on or you listen to something, it's all about you. And we have to try and resist that. See, that's where we have to resist the pattern of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds into what God's called us to be and to do. The Bible says, let us not become weary in doing good. It's saying that because it's easy to become weary in doing good. Because sometimes you just think, what's the point? I've been doing good, Lord, and things have got worse. Anybody ever said that? I've been trying to be a being and it's not working. Everything just doesn't happen the way I want it to. So I'll stop being good now. I'll stop making the right choices and start to be self. Friends, the Bible says, let us not become weary in doing good because for the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We've got to keep doing what God has called us to do. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you three points this morning. 
And the three points which I wrote down from a conference years ago, and uh, they stayed with me all the time. And uh, I think they just sum up really how we can change the atmosphere of the community around us. And it's talking about how Jesus did it. Firstly, he did this. He changed the atmosphere of doubt into an atmosphere of faith. He changed an atmosphere of doubt into an atmosphere of faith. Jesus called people to believe outrageously in God. Isn't that amazing? We've got to recover that desire and that calling people into belief. I love the story. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will believe, and she will be healed. What an amazing thing. Jairus had just received the message from one of his servants, don't bother the teacher, the master is dead, uh, your daughter is dead. And he turned to him and said to him, listen, don't be afraid, just believe. What an outrageous thing to say. See, Jesus called people to have faith that he could do the impossible. Jesus called us to believe that in him, things can change. He called us to believe that he could overturn situations by his power. And that is what we are to be, people of faith who are trusting him. And that means we've got to apply that. See, you can change the atmosphere of doubt where you are by believing in God. Or you can become part of the problem. Hello. (laughs) You ever been there? I really should say I believe God can change this, but I'm not sure. (laughs) It's a challenge to us, isn't it? It's a fight. But friends, honestly, if we're going to live out the mission of Jesus, we've got to be people who start to say, you know what, I believe in what Jesus can do. I'm going to declare, I'm going to press in to what God wants to do in this world. You see, when uh, things change, when faith increases, when people begin to believe in a God who can do uh, exceedingly more than they can ask or imagine. But there's a fight to get to that place of faith. This year, the challenge is on for us. Are we going to be those people who have faith in God? Who go beyond where we've been? Who go beyond what what the circumstances are around us? You see, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It says that Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown. And it says that even Jesus could not do many miracles there because of the lack of faith of the people. Isn't that an amazing thing? And it says that all he could do was, he, all, he said he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Friends, by that measure, how much faith is in the church? Because even at Nazareth, there was a healing campaign. And Jesus was amazed at the lack of faith. I, I, I don't want to, I'm not criticizing anybody today. But I think 2016 needs to be a year of expanding faith in the church. I mean, in this church and in the the, the church generally. I think somehow we're going to have to dig through some ground to get to a faith place. Hello? (laughs) Okay. Maybe you don't have to, friends. But but I I, I think I do. And I think we do. And I think, honestly, we, we need to be real about this because actually... Listen, I thank God for everything that our society can provide for us. But the truth is we need faith in God to provide what society can't provide. We need faith for people's lives to be changed, friends. We need to rise up in the church. We need faith for people to be set free of demonic spirits. Sometimes we live as if they don't exist. We We need faith to believe that God can do miracles in people's families and turn things around. We need faith to believe that God will set people free from bondages that have caused them mental illness. Friends, we need faith to rise. And there's, there's no quick way of saying it. There's no easy way of saying it. But if Jesus went to Nazareth and did a few miracles there and then said they didn't have much faith, I think we need faith in our church. 
And so we need to allow faith to rise up. And, and so what I'm asking you to do, friends, is, is start to think about how is that going to work in you? How is your faith going to rise in 2016? What are you going to do to engage it? What are you going to do to foster it? Because it doesn't happen by itself. See, the professional way of doing it is let the man of God have faith. Let him see what happens. But friends, you know what? If we're limited to what I can do, we're in trouble. Many of you know that. You've been under me for years. Do you know what I mean? But we need what God can do. We need to expand our faith and our understanding of what God wants to bring about in our world. Remember when Jesus came around the mountain? See, he called doubt out of people. How many of you want to get doubt out of your life this morning? Jesus wants to call it out of you. He wants to call you to believe in him. When he came down the mountain after the being up the mountain of transfiguration, he was met by the father whose son was having fits and was throwing himself into the fire. And he got to the, um, uh, to the disciples and the disciples could do nothing. Friends, I feel a bit like that sometimes. And he comes to them and he says, he comes to Jesus and he says, um, the disciples can't do anything, but if you can, would you please help? And Jesus says to him, if I can, if I can, everything is possible for those who believe. And the father said these words, he says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Friends, that needs to be the prayer of some of us this year. Help me overcome my unbelief. See, I, I'm not asking you to work yourself up into a frenzy. I, I'm not into that. But some of us, we just need to pray and say, God, help me to overcome my unbelief. See, in this passage, Jesus says to his disciples, in the old translation, you perverse and unbelieving generation. And he links those two things. He says, you're perverse and unbelieving. That's a bit strong, isn't it? But what he says to them is unbelief is like perversity. It's un- misunderstanding the heart of God. You need to believe in who God is and what he can do. And for some of us, you know, um, some, of the th- some of the things we're going to preach on this year, we're going to preach a whole series on just verses that are about creating faith. Because truthfully, we need to find some faith. Hello, church. You're all looking at me today to say, oh, stop going on. Come on, is this true for you or me? It's true for us, church. We- we've got to engage. Listen, I don't, I'm not here to do lukewarm Christianity. I want faith in the house. I, I want, when it comes together, people to say, you know, what can God do today? But friends, if we're going to get that, we mustn't just wait for it to be downloaded. We're in a download generation, aren't we? Oh, let me find the right service. Click the button and it's all going to come. We've got that mentality to church. No, friends. The Bible says we need to go into our own room and shut the door and take hold of God. There's no download here. It's about face-to-face connection. I'm going to be preaching on that next week. Connection. We've got to connect with God powerfully. It's what God's calling us to. It's connection that breaks every chain, friends. And so we've got to come to that place and see what God wants to do. Let faith arise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Ah. I love it when Jesus was walking into Jerusalem and he saw a fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit and he went up to take some fruit and it had no fruit and it says he cursed it. And the next day as they were walking about, see, that's a bit odd, isn't it? Don't you think that's a bit odd? But then Jesus did create it, so I guess he can do whatever he likes. He cursed it. And I'm walking back in the next day, Peter looked at the fig tree and it had withered. And he said, God, he said, Jesus, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus says this, have faith in God. 
And then I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Come on, church. What's your, what's your response to a verse like that when Jesus says it? I go, oh God, oh God, help thou my unbelief. But I'm, I'm in the game because Jesus says it. Have faith in God. See, Jesus calls people to give up doubt and come to faith. I wonder this year, would you dare to do that? Would you dare to challenge doubt when it starts to come into your life and when it starts to surround you about the calling of God? You see, here's the truth. When you're calling and when you're living for the purposes of God, your focus is on what God does in you and through you, not for you. And in you and through you is where you see the miracles. And then for you gets taken care of. Because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things that you worry about, they'll get taken care of. But you see, society has turned it to worry about this and then when that's all done, take care of God's business. And the truth is, God's business isn't being done because the church is worrying about its business. Everybody know I'm telling the truth today. So what I'm asking you to do is take 16. All I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and turn doubt around and I'm going to try and create faith in me. Now, for some of you, that means you're going to have to start to do something different to create faith. You're going to have to start to say, I'm going to read the Bible. Some of you are going to have to, uh, you know, we're, we're, is it, you know, guys from Teen Challenge, you learn 30, um, I'm told you learn 30 verses that you memorize during your time there, yeah? 30 verses that they memorize. How many of you can remember 30 verses that can change your life? Listen, we're going to preach to you 30 verses this year. I, I might even give you a little homework card because some of you need to remember them see some of you can't even quote the scripture because you don't know it so you can't raise faith in your life because you're not standing on what the word of God says we used to do that when we were in Sunday school didn't we sword drill sheave your sword draw your sword charge but friends it meant by the time I was 12 I knew dozens of verses of the bible Maybe we should reintroduce that into a worship experience. <laughs> Why? Because the word gives faith. Faith comes by hearing the word. Some of us have just got to hear the word this year so we can have faith. Because we're, we're foundering and floundering in the pit of unbelief. And, and God says all kinds of things and we can't remember what he said. So we have to wait till Sunday when somebody might say something nice to us. We've got to build our lives on the rock, friends. Anyway, that's one point. (laughs) Second point is this. Jesus changed the atmosphere of judgment into grace. Wow. See, we live in a culture of judgment, don't we? People get judged for everything. People get judged for everything, friends, and the judgment goes on and on. They get judged for how they look, for what race they are. They get judged for whether they're refugees or asylum seekers. They get judged for whether they're well-educated or not educated. Friends, judgment is part of the world. And we've got to understand that we have to turn judgment into grace if we're going to change the community, if we're going to change the atmosphere. See, you can change the atmosphere at work if you respond with grace rather than judgment when somebody makes a colossal mistake. Or even better, when you make a colossal mistake. You can change it if you respond with humility and grace rather than defensiveness and hostility to try and cover it up. It, it changes things. Why? Because you're taking the, uh, being honest, you're, you're being what God has been to you. I love the story of the woman caught in adultery and uh, she's brought before Jesus for a test. What an amazing thing. They brag, drag before Jesus and say, the law says that we can stone this woman. She's guilty. And here we are the stones. Now, what do you say? 
And Jesus has every right to say, I say we should stone her because she broke the law. See, sometimes we like to be religious and say the right thing. Well, they did wrong, didn't they? They made a bad choice. And we sit in the house of judgment rather than pour out the bowl of grace upon people's lives. See, we transform lives when we give them grace rather than judgment. Because people who are down and out and broken expect judgment, friends. Because that's what they get. And so we as the church have got to be people who say, you know what? Here's the grace of God. Jesus says to this woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. I love that picture. She just waits for Jesus. And he just says to her, well, I don't condemn you. Go on. Go on and leave your life of sin. And there's no great writing about she skipped away repentant and got a life right with Jesus. It doesn't say that, friends. But she went away having received grace that transforms lives. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And all of a sudden, grace pours into her life and the atmosphere is changed because all of a sudden, she realizes that Jesus cares for her. You see, grace is about, you know, when we get an atmosphere of grace, weird people are welcome. Just look beside you. That's the great thing about the church, isn't it? It's where everybody's welcome. See, if grace is there, people are attracted. And the truth is, the more, you know, here's the truth. The more grace there is in a church, the weirder it gets. Because people know they're accepted. Friends, that's why some churches are just full of very middle-class, upright people who just look down their noses at everybody else. That's not all churches, but some are. Because when you walk in and you've got baggage, you're not welcome. Because it's a religious club. It's not a place of transformation. So you just got to remember, if you're weird, you're welcome here. <sighs> that lets most of you off the hook, doesn't it? Come on, let's be honest. Because we all, we all need, the weird need a place too. Listen, friends, we, we need one another. That's a grace thing. And we have to try and overcome a culture, uh, an era, if you like, of judgmentalism with a culture of grace. That we receive people and we bless them. You know, to be gracious is not just to forgive, it's to bless. It's not just to say, well, I forgive you. It's to say, I forgive you. Let me hug you. Let me help you. Let me restore you. See, I don't know about you, but you see, I, I can maybe extend mercy. I'm good enough to do that. I can, but, but you know, I don't know. But sometimes you forgive people, but it, you say, well, I forgive you. Yeah, I, I, I forgive you. I'm, I'm big hearted. I still think you're an idiot. See, grace is, I think you're an idiot, but I love you. I think you've made a bad choice, but hey, I'll help you make a good one. And guess what? Even if you make another bad one, I'll still be here for you. See, grace is way beyond just letting people off for their bad actions. Aren't you glad God is gracious to you? See, that's why I read the scripture. God is gracious to us, and therefore we have to be gracious to others. And if we're going to change our world, friends, it starts with us saying, hey, I'm not going to be judgmental of people. And that starts with the house of God. You know what? It starts with the house of God. That we get rid of judgment towards one another. Some of you are going to find that this year, somebody else in the church really irritates you. Hey, friends, it could even be me. Most of you have had that experience in the last 14 years, haven't you? 14 years today, I've been here. Isn't that amazing? Woo, woo, woo. When I say I, I mean my wife and I. See, 
someone's going to wind you up. Someone's going to irritate. Someone's going to offend your friends. I don't know. We can find stuff to get offended over anywhere, can't we? I can get offended in the shopping queue by the slowness that the woman in front has taken. Do you know what I mean? I can get offended by those self-serve checkouts. I can't do them, can you? Do you know what I mean? I end up just calling everybody in Asda. Asda, get in now! Offended very quickly. We need to create a culture of grace. And this year, I'm asking you, just bless people. Do you remember when the Oma bombing happened in, um, uh, in Northern Ireland? And within, within about 24 hours of that bomb, a man called Gordon Wilson, I think his name was, went on the television and he said, I want to forgive the people who killed my daughter. I want, to forg- I want them to know that I forgive them and that I don't want this violence to go on. And grace exploded through that man who decided he would transform his society with grace. Friends, we can do that where we are. We can bring that into the circumstances and situations of our lives. Grace flows from our relationship with Jesus. He who has been forgiven much, loves much, Jesus said. When you know that you've received grace, you then have to be someone who pours out grace into people's lives and situations. Can I ask you, what does that look like in your life this year going forward? Responding with grace to people. Let's be honest. Have we been judgmental in 2015? We will have been. How can we respond differently to people going forward? See, the mission of the church is to take away judgment and to bring the grace of God. That's the good news. The good news of Jesus is there's grace for people. God does not treat us as our sins deserve, but instead makes us sons and daughters of God. It's the prodigal son in the pigsty thinking, I will go and be a servant. And his father says, you're still my son. It's grace for the people of our world. And then finally, Jesus changed the atmosphere of lack and he brought abundance. I love this story of uh, feeding of the 5,000. And it says there, uh, I think it's in Matthew, Jesus said to the mum, you give them something to eat. And it says he already said this because he already had in mind what he was going to do, but he was testing them. Do you think that's lovely? Jesus was testing his disciples. How many of you know that you've been prompted by God to be generous because he's testing you? Hello. He's testing you to see really if you're going to change the atmosphere of lack and of want and to create an atmosphere of abundance. He's testing you to see if you're going to say, well, and this is what the disciples said, well, even five months' wages wouldn't feed this lot. It's, it's impossible. You can't really be serious. You don't want me to feed all these people. Send them away, Lord. He says, no, you, you feed them. You, you give it on because I believe in abundance. Uh, and I love this story. It says in John's Gospel, it says, Simon uh, Andrew spoke up and said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will that go among so many? I, I, I love that picture because what it says to us is that a little boy brought his sandwiches while everybody else forgot them. And then it also says that a little boy was willing to give up his lunch. There's a miracle right there, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? He's able to just give up his sandwich. You know, something happened. I, don't, I, I like to think that Andrew didn't take the boy's lunch off him. <laughs> oh, you've got food. Give it here. Do you know what I mean? Jesus is collecting it. Give it up. Do you know what I mean? It's a little boy at the side of the five thousand going, you stole my dinner. Do you know what I mean? I like to think that wasn't happening. 
But there's, there's Simon, uh, uh, there's Andrew, and just saying, how far will this go? This is never enough. Do you know what, friends? Jesus challenges the mentality of this is never enough. And he says, look what I can do. Look what I can do with what you have. And he took the bread and broke it, and he fed 5,000 hungry men besides everybody else. And there were 12 basketfuls of, of leftovers. What an amazing God. Sometimes God says to us, you know what? I need you to see what I can do with what you give. I need you to understand what I can make happen with what you give. Jesus met the needs of the people who were around. He went around doing good and setting people free from the power of the evil one. The issue for us is, how far will this go? What the issue really is, will I give it? See, when we have a lack mentality, we've never got enough to give. When we have a lack mentality, it's always, God, I, I can't do this because if I do this, then, then I'm going to go without or I'm not going to have enough. When the abundance mentality is, God, if I give this, then God, you'll provide for me. I'm not talking about money here today. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about resources. I'm talking about our homes. I'm talking about our grace. I'm talking about forgiveness. You see, sometimes we're waiting to feel that we can forgive people before we forgive them. That's a lack mentality. Abundance is, I do forgive you. Bless you. And as you give grace, grace is given to you. Press down, shaking together, running over, pours into your lap because you've poured grace out. And abundance starts to flow. See, stingy people will never understand abundance because they're always trying to hold on to what they have and they never have enough. Abundant people are willing to give what they have and they're willing to say, thank God for what I have. I've learned to be content with much. I've learned to be content with little. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's an abundant spirit. And Jesus turned lack into abundance. He went to a wedding that had run out of wine and he gave them more wine than they could possibly drink. I can murder a glass just now. <laughs> can you? I've moved on from coffee, do you know what I mean? <laughs> One of the elders is twitching on the front row now. So. <laughs> uh, well, that's going to come to the elders' meeting. See, the spirit of abundance is that we can bring it so that God can use it. 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this present world, that's us, because we're in the top 90, well, the top 92%, that's us, we're in the top, right at the top. We might not feel like it, but we are. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Hey, that's a verse for this year, isn't it? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In other words, to overcome lack with a spirit of abundance. Paul goes further in his writing. There in Corinthians, he says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Hallelujah. He says, listen, abundance is the expression of the people of God. Am I here preaching a prosperity gospel? No, I'm not. Don't be daft. I'm not saying everything you look at and pray over is going to turn to money. Well, that would be good, wouldn't it? What I'm saying is, is that if you learn to honor the Lord and to be generous to other people, God will bless you. 
He'll bless you in your home. He'll bless you in your work. He'll bless you in your going in and your coming out. He'll bless you in your lying down and in your getting up. He'll bless you. Your life will be lived under a canopy of the abundance of the blessing of God. Why? Because you've got a generous spirit. You've turned the atmosphere of lack into abundance. See, it's amazing because God wants to meet needs through his people. Your service, your offering is a catalyst for change in the lives of people around you. And it will bring transformation. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he said to them, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse over of leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely give. He said, where there's lack, where there's containment, where there's oppression, we are the people who set people free and who proclaim good news and who give of themselves. I love it when G, uh, Paul, Peter, sorry, one of those guys, somewhere in the Bible, somewhere, says something good to somebody. It's a great verse. Peter in Acts 3, at the gate of beautiful uh, the gate beautiful says to this guy who's crippled, and he says to him, please give me some money. He says, Sil- silver and gold I don't have. See, sometimes we don't have. See, abundance isn't about silver and gold. It's about what you have. He says, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. See, some days, sometimes the words that you have are the abundance that other people need. Sometimes the faith you have is the abundance that other people need. It's not always money, friends. Sometimes the touch of the compassion and the love of God is, is the money that other people need. It's the currency they're going to understand. What I have, I give you. So if you can give what you have, then you start to break the cycle of lack and want and you start to bring the kingdom of abundance and love. Three ways you can change the world this year. You can change the atmosphere from doubt to faith. What do you believe in God for this year in your life? What do you believe in God for that's not to do with you, but it's to do with what he can do through you? Okay, it's okay to believe for God for what he can do for you, but what do you believe in that he can do through you? We should all have something of that that we're carrying. That's a faith work right there. God, I believe you want to do this through me. You know, some of you need to spend the next month maybe asking God what that is because you don't think like that. It doesn't really come in your mind. Your faith is all to do with you and and what's going on around you and maybe for the church a bit. Friends, we've got to have a bigger sense of mission than that. Lord, what is it you're asking me to do? How can I bring faith to the place where I work, which is surrounded by doubt? How can I do it? He's not asking you to stand up and preach, most of you. He's asking you to be a person who can say to somebody right there, hey, I believe God cares about your situation and can help you. That's a preach right there, friends. It's all it takes. You're calling people to faith in Christ. They can make their own journey, but they can't believe unless they hear that they can believe in God. How are you going to do it? How are you going to change the atmosphere from judgment to grace? How can you show the grace of God to the world in which you live and walk through? Even today, some of you are thinking about a bloke at work or a woman at work and thinking, but why don't we just start right there? Say, okay, Lord, how do I show this woman grace? Not just mercy, Lord. I've been merciful to her. I've let her off. I forgive her. But Lord, I want to do good to her. How can I, how can I show her your love, Lord? See, see, how many of you know that you need faith for that? See, you start to grow in your Christian life when you get there. Because all of a sudden, you're exercising faith that moves you beyond you to 
being somebody who God can use in the world. Changing the atmosphere from lack to abundance. What has God freely given to you that you can freely give to someone else in his name? A word of encouragement, an act of kindness, a gift, time, some understanding. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's the secret right there, friends. Because God was with him. Let's stand together. Thank you for your patience listening today. It's... I mean, like I say, I've gone on a bit, but maybe I have. I've just been trying to unpack this for us today. We're here to transform the atmosphere of our community, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. Jesus went around doing good and setting people free from the stuff that held them. And that's the calling on your life and mine. It's, it's not about, you know, uh, just about us anymore. Let's not, let's not keep it to that. Let's see where we are as a place where God has put us to bring transformation, to transform doubt and bring faith, to transform judgment and bring grace, to transform lack and bring abundance and generosity that flows from the Spirit of God. All of us can do those things. It's not, it's not just for the special Christians who seem to have more faith than everybody else. You're going to do all the miracles. Friends, if we have that attitude, we're never going to change our world. It's for each of us who are called to follow him and to walk in this world in step with his spirit, full of his love, and having received his grace, to pour that out into the world around us. So, Father, I just pray your blessing over each one of us now. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would indeed be like Jesus. He went around doing good and setting people free. I pray, Father, you'd speak to us today. Lord, show us where we need to increase our faith. Lord, help us to give grace to those who, Lord, don't deserve it, but who need it, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be generous. And Lord, overcome the lack, Lord, that this world lives with, so that, Lord, your abundance and your grace can pour into people's lives. I thank you for my brothers and sisters today. I thank you for sensitive hearts that listen to you. I thank you for obedient spirits, Lord, that seek to follow you. And I pray, Lord, that as we start a new year and, and seek to be your people, that you would use us, Lord, our hands and our feet, our mouths and our resources, Lord, to transform, Lord, the atmosphere of this city and of where we live, Lord, with your love, because you are with us. We thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.